Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we all share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a great session for you in this week's episode, so let's jump right in. Are you looking for the best resources to help you build a regenerative lifestyle? New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. They publish good news and solutions for individuals and organizations seeking to change their lives so that they may change the world for the better. Their company mandate goes far beyond the single bottom line of profit. They care deeply not only about what they publish, but also how they do business. They believe in the authors that they take on and the works that they bring to the marketplace. From sustainable living to progressive parenting, New Society Publishers has the books you need to help build a better world. Buy your print and ebooks online at www.newsociety.com or at fine bookstores near you. All right, hello everybody. Here we are again at another regenerative roundtable. I'm sitting here with my colleagues Neil Hegarty and Jeremy Fellows, and we've got a lot to talk about because boy, have we been busy in the last month. They're giving me the expression of approval there. It's been uh, it's been quite an ordeal. So let's jump into it. Um, Neil, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about what's been going on the last month? And I know you've got a topic that is dear to your heart that you want to start to explain to our listeners as well. Wait, what? That, okay, that wasn't the look of approval. <laughs> that was yeah, the look of... Agreement. Yeah, we're 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 shattered we're so we're working so much um it's insane uh like how much is going on um so we're sitting here at the end of like another long day of roofing which fyi i find terrifying (laughs) well we we covered that last week i fell out of a tree a couple of months ago um (laughs) so you know don't don't try that it's not fun um but yeah, there is loads of stuff going on, um, and yeah, for the most part, it's great fun. Um, what was I going to talk about? Climate. Well, tell us a little bit about what happened over the last month or so. What are the main projects that we've been working on and getting done? All right, well, I guess I should start where I finished in the last one and talk about the goats. Um, we introduced... Uh, actually, a little bit of what I want to talk about is... Um, developing a good strategy and a good timeline when you're when you're developing your place and that involves understanding the seasons understanding the climate uh just understanding those larger patterns that's why you say we we design from patterns down to details um so we introduced we introduced a male goat uh when last Wednesday, about a week ago, yeah. Um, I went down to to my Colombian friend Yame's place. Uh, he has an awesome little permaculture spot, and he keeps goats as well. And he's got a he's got a little tame macho that he says is an embrera, which means like a, a male goat that tends to have daughters, which is exactly what we want. Um, and he's a nice little fella. I walked him here. It's about a two mile mile walk back, so that was pretty funny. Like this gringo walking along <laughs> pulling a goat behind him um and uh yeah then i introduced him and i told a couple of people what i was doing and they said oh that the lucky fella you know he's he's gone to a fiesta um 
But anyone who's seen this kind of thing before would know that it's not as much fun as it sounds for uh, this macho to be introduced to these five females because they just they just started wailing on him straight away, like just beat him from one end of the cage to the next. Uh, sorry, go- goat host to the next, not cage, not cage. Um, <laughs> um, but <laughs> by the way, anyone who, anyone who thinks it's a cage, go look at the website. There's some there's some photos of the Gotel up it's way nicer than when I, where I live it's beautiful um, so yeah they just they just wailed on him for a couple of days uh, and now it's transitioning from fighting into kind of um, co co-living sort of thing uh, they're just they're like roommates right now but romance isn't blossoming yet so um, <laughs> I'm really I'm, I'm really egging him on you know <laughs> At least he's not sitting down in the K in the in the house now. Like he just he just he at the first the only way he could start to get him to stop beating him up was to was to sit down in the corner looking sorry for himself. At least he's standing up now and he's walking around the place and he's you know <laughs> you know he's got a little dignity. Um, you know nobody nobody's attracted to these sort of like uh, characters that are just thrown in the corner feeling sorry for themselves there's a whole you know there's a whole dating program on, on this you know guys who lack confidence just come and see our gold and do the opposite to everything he's doing really that's all you need to know you don't need to read any of those self-help books uh, <laughs> <laughs> just watch goats remember last week where i said goats were the answer to every existential problem we've ever had it's true man it really is true <laughs> Anyway, what else? Was it? So, Does someone else want to say uh, something? Getting back to the, what's the strategy behind um, having getting the young goat in there right now, the young male right now? E- yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, so yeah, it's it's about that bigger pattern of we live in the wet dry tropics here, and we also live in a kind of a touristy area. So for the dry season here, it's winter in the north. Um, so a lot of people come down here to to get away, enjoy the beautiful climate, because dry season is actually when the temperatures are lower. Uh, so it's sunny all day and kind of cool at night, very pleasant. Not not many problems with insects or anything like that that you might normally associate with the tropics. And then the rains come, all the tourists come home, but also the 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 land flushes up it just goes green the the roads and the ditches all just fill up with what you know with weeds basically but what i call goat food um (laughs) (laughs) so uh you know it's a great time actually to have the goats pregnant because they stop giving milk um they put their energy into growing their baby not producing milk um so it's a good time to dry them up because there's no lactose to sell and there's loads of food for them to you know eat for two um so that's like you know that's one example of designing from patterns down to details the the detail is knowing that you need to get the goats pregnant at a certain time of year you need to have them dry up um and the pattern is the fact that we have these climactic and uh, market conditions to deal with so we we design accordingly you know yeah for sure i mean planning and prepping within the limitations of a climate is essential, uh, not just for goats or for gardens, but in our case, as we've been living quite severely uh, through the build process. So 
We've got the house going up right now, which has quite a few stages of like a push to get certain things done. At first, of course, is the foundation. You can't do anything without that. Nothing goes up until the foundation is ready. Our foundations are actually quite minimal. We're doing Japanese style pinstone foundations that are anchoring in the main support po post for the roof. And given that we're approaching the rainy season pretty fast here, um, I chose to put all the efforts into getting the roofs up so that we can keep the build site dry down below. Because the rainy season here is quite severe. Um, we do still get mostly sunny, dry, sunny uh, mornings. And the storms kind of roll in in the afternoon. And it's fairly uh, predictable. But then sometimes you also get a stretch where it's just rainy all the time. So if you don't have a covered, dry, clean work site, it's really going to slow down progress. So for that reason, we prioritize getting those roofs up. And given that this is Guatemala, that still ended up taking way longer than we thought. First of all, uh, deliveries were slowed down. And then <laughs> some of them arrived and the things that we had ordered were not correct. We had to send a few things back. And, you know, with the lack of infrastructure and consistency and quality control here, there are a lot of challenges for staying on, on schedule and on budget. Uh, with that being said, we had quite a bit of rain before the, the bamboo has been covered now with acoustic insulation. And tomorrow, the corrugated steel for the roofs is going up after that. Um... So finally, it looks like we're going to beat the rainy season, but we did get a little bit of water damage on our uncovered bamboo. And since it's treated with chemicals, not terribly toxic or anything, it's just baractic acid, which extends the life of bamboo and makes sure that fungus and insects don't proliferate too much inside of them. That starts to get washed away really fast if the bamboo is not protected. So I was stressed out there for a little bit while it was raining on top of our bamboo. We were all stressed out there while that was happening. Just in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> yeah, it does include all of us for sure. But seeing as that's the main project that I'm in charge of, and I thought that it'd be ready before the rains came, they came a little bit early. Uh, material orders came in a little bit late. There are certain... Which is another broad pattern that actually should be included into designs in this part of the world yeah in any developing country i mean i've primarily worked in developing countries especially when doing natural building projects so i did expect it a little bit but it was kind of a little perfect storm of materials getting late um rain coming early and fortunately we've got nice sunny weather and you know we'll have the corrugated metal up tomorrow so it's not a big deal um but yeah we definitely need to put in an extra little treatment on the bamboo to make sure that it doesn't start degrading any faster so you're talking about climate really here this is we talked about the scale of permanence uh, last week and this was kind of like one of the things we wanted to talk about this week this idea that the scale of permanence starts there with climate for a reason right it's like the the most important thing and i think it's a it's a thing that gets overlooked honestly a lot i feel in in people doing permaculture designs because um really the techniques are only as there's there's techniques from everywhere and people see all these different techniques and start that work really well in certain climates and it's the same in building and in gardening and in farming in general and then they apply them to places they're not appropriate at all at all um and this gets done obviously a lot in conventional agriculture um the kind of conversion of huge areas of the tropics into 
into grasslands for grazing cattle, for example, has largely been a disaster, you know? Um, yeah, and um, part of it's the techniques, but um, people also miss out on the chance to strategize with their techniques because some techniques are applicable in different climates but they need to be done at the right time that's probably the more important thing with a, with a lot of these things neil's right um, these broad scale applications of like temperate climate techniques are devastating down here but even if you try to work with the climate here and and work on reforesting and designing alley cropping systems or agroforestry systems with your more annual annual based or um, livestock systems uh, you still got to do things at the right time uh, so we can look at a large area that's been turned into grazeland and quite easily and simply start putting in rows of specific trees that work really well in these areas they're going to do amazing stuff for that production uh, for one, uh, we can start producing more nitrogen to put into the soil with nitrogen-fixing trees that will come in immediately. We can start blocking wind, which will create more microclimates for other species to come in in succession. We can start creating shade for the animals that are working in this system. You can start creating new forms of fodder, which will present new opportunities for diversifying your animal systems, etc., etc. There's so many. Um, <laughs> there's so many obvious solutions in this. But one thing what we're realizing as designers is that um, planting also comes with the season as well. And right now we're starting into our, uh, our rainy season and so we're preparing our plant species to be put into the ground. Yeah, and see, that's another part of where our like strategizing thing is coming in. Just to yeah, finish something you were saying there, it definitely occurs to me that a big part of like understanding climbing, climate and altering your design or adapting your design to suit the climate is asking yourself what does this ecosystem naturally want to go back to what would it go back to if it was if it was left alone um so you know those temperate climate systems you talked about with with large amounts of grasslands and grazing animals work really well in areas where the 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 ecosystem wants to go back to partially pastured lands with trees mixed in so that's why silvopasture is such a great technique uh, in some areas but the tropics always wants to go back to to a forest dense forest D yeah dense forest with like lots of different levels of of shade and light filtering so, yeah super diverse um and 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 then ultimately every ecosystem is characterized by the sort of late succession species you know so the big the big hardwoods and, and palms that's what you know really does well in those areas of the tropics um and we're sort of like in we're in the sort of wet dry subtropics here so we're not in the humid tropics it's an unusual climate it's kind of an edge climate because we're in between the humid tropics and the desert actually because and that's why this is such a it's a, it's a it's a dicey game doing agriculture here in a way because if you do it wrong the rain becomes ineffective the six months of rain becomes ineffective and it starts to turn into a desert very quickly so you're kind of like which way is the desert going to go right now it's coming into the wet dry tropics and we want to start pushing it out the other way so we want to like come up with agricultural strategies that do that yeah, you're absolutely right, Neil. We are in a very um, unique 
climate here and it presents us with a lot of unique um, opportunities for strategizing and, and imp implementing different techniques. So we can pick from a bunch of different design modules for our landscape, right? It's really nice. We're not in an area that like wants to just go into massive like canopy species, tropical uh, rainforests. Uh, it's not quite wet enough to sustain that, though in some regions where the cloud forests are, they're very important, a little bit higher than where we are. But where we are right now, where people like to really grow coffee, etc., you can have this kind of mixed, like 40% uh, shade systems, like mid-succession really does great here. We can open up large areas to bring light into our, our, our um, uh, the ground and start also focusing on annual production as well. It's so we have a lot of opportunities. Yeah, and again, then the key to annual production, I think, here is it's sort of the same thing. It's realizing that, yeah, mid-succession agroforestry with plenty of light entering is definitely the way to go for 80% of, of any agricultural system here or really any system in general. But it's how then do you manage the 20% that you that you take your annuals from. So here, it's again, it's an interesting climate. Uh, we get a lot of sun here. So for dry season, we can grow vegetables really well here, which is also can be tricky so close to the equator because the days aren't that long so you know things like your your tubers and your nightshades that just do great in greenhouses in the north um, because they get hours and hours of sun that's not the case here but we have a lovely garden that's that gets the morning sun and gets sun all day so we can grow a lot of stuff in it especially as it's right next to our animal house so we have like fertility right on hand um but it's it's different. So, like, Jerry, you mentioned alley cropping. I think that's a great technique here, you know. You plant those kinds of uh, nitrogen-fixing trees along the edge of the part that you cultivate. Kushin or Inga works really well for that here. I haven't seen a better one for that here. You're a big fan of Madre Cacao. Uh, well, which yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Neil's right, the... The Kushin is great here. The Inga species, there's many different ones that do great here. Um, uh, ice cream bean, as the Australians um, coined yes, it, called it cleverly. For some reason, yeah. <laughs> they're kind of tasty beans. They definitely don't taste like ice cream. I'm not that into them. I mean, they're okay. They're nice to suck on. It's like a big bean pod, and you open it up, and they've got white flesh in them. And you just, they're like, I like them. They're like yeah. those. What do you call those 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 Pez dispenser things? They're, <laughs> they're sort of like a fruit version of a Pez dispenser, you know, mild, <laughs> mildly satisfying, and then you want another one. But you don't hate yourself after we're, eating we're a not, bunch of cuisine. Like. Yeah, and we're not designing around Pez dispenser fruit. <laughs> That's not why we're planting them. But speak for yourself. <laughs> I'm into it, but uh, <laughs> it's like there's many species though, and um, we often have a. I don't know if it's an argument or whatever on whether or not they're actually native. doesn't matter. They're great. But I can see right now we're looking at them. There is a couple of stumps cut. One of the Kushin or a couple of trees cut down the stumps of the Kushin and um, another native nitrogen yeah. fixer. Do you remember what they call it here? Uh, no. Like Kush or something like that. No, <laughs> you're not making either. that I'm, up. Sorry, I made that up. Something I can't. Pr it's something I can't pronounce. Your catchy is terrible, still, Neil. My catchy is bad. Uh, it's not that bad. I can say some stuff. 
Um, Anywho, whatever it's called, it's like a it's a native nitrogen fixer. We're gonna find the name for it, um, Latin and uh, local name. Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll fill you guys in on this once we figure it out. We're growing it though because we love it, and you know why? Because we ha- see some examples here. We want species that we can harvest from regularly because we want them to also serve not only as when our... When you say harvest from, you mean cut them back, like pollard them and like harvest them as forage and as mulch, not as like, not as things we eat, right? Just no, but when we that. feed our goats, it's kind of like we're feeding ourselves. It becomes this... Yeah, it's, you're indirectly, you're eating your living fence in milk form, basically, yeah. when you have goats. That's that's how that works. <laughs> so the species that we're looking for are things that are um, trees that not only fix nitrogen and create shade, um, but also produce loads of biomass and respond to the harvest of it. Yeah. Um, but basically, just to clarify, the, the whole, the kind of thing about these alley crops is they fix loads of nitrogen. So when you pollard them, when you cut them back, um, they release that nitrogen down into the ground and they also produce loads of biomass. They drop leaves and the things that you pollard from them, you then use that as mulch or it goes into your animal or it goes to feed your animals and in turn their manure goes onto your field. So you're really just producing loads and loads of organic material because you really need to replenish it because that's the thing about here. Um, organic material just breaks down so fast. So you really, really need to be careful and have strategies in place for replacing that organic material that's gonna just burn away. And if you don't have wind breaks and replacement organic material and good cover cropping, the wind and the heavy rains will just desiccate your soil. Even if you've got a terrace, it doesn't matter. Um, so that's really what you're trying to guard against. And that's what, we talk, that's what I talk about when I say, right now the desert is going the wrong way. Too many people are employing strategies that don't take any of these factors into account and uh and and so the the desert is growing out and it's actually kind of alarming to drive through certain parts of guatemala where like el corridor seco the dry corridor is like encroaching into uh these climates you know um and so that's why we you know, that's why we think about this kind of stuff a lot because it's about coming up what we're trying to do is 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 add to a sort of growing body of like research and information that helps people come up with easy to manage ways of doing this better right yeah unfortunately it's it's kind of a young science really the silvopasture and agroforestry in a sense when we look at it um i guess academically or like in yeah, we're on the, we're on the f- the frontier, you know. Like, isn't that what he said in Star Trek? <laughs> <laughs> we're like, well, something. He said something. I think it's like, you know, we're on the we're pretty edge in a sense. We're here. pretty young Padawan, though. Like, you know, like we're we're figuring the stuff out and we're figuring out for our climate, absolutely, our absolutely. subclimate. So, anyone listening to this with advice on this, just send it yeah, our way. We'll, just fling we'll it at listen. us. Anything. Because right now, that's what we're doing a lot of experimentation. Because that's another within our terraced garden with the lovely stone walls along the back of it and the water stored up over it and animal house built next to it. We're cropping out the edge of that, but within the garden itself, we're experimenting with a bunch of different uh, polycultures for for the rainy season. Because like I say, when there's lots of tourists, uh, it, our garden is great for growing vegetables. We can grow loads of salad, uh, beets, nightshades, um, you know, it does great. And that's great because we have loads of fresh organic food to sell or exchange or whatever. 
Um, but that stuff will all get sick and die in the rainy season because it gets just absolutely poured on. Um, so your choices are put a roof up over it, which I really don't like because I think it's just too much fighting. I mean, it's fine if you're doing, uh, if you have a an economic model that depends on it, but it's not really the way we own a farm. So, you know, things like corn, squash, certain types of beans, sweet potatoes, yucca, uh, these things do really well here. And we're just, we're right now, we're slowly taking harvesting seed from our um from our what i would call <laughs> uh, dry season vegetables we're harvesting seed from them and we're putting different polycultures into the different beds of of things that will basically the functions are they need to cover the soil so things like sweet potato uh, new zealand spinach squash do a great job squash especially just like covers out the ground uh we want some of them to produce we want all of them to produce biomass uh we want we want things to fix nitrogen and we want like good hardy root crops so we want to be able to kind of put a system in place that just looks after itself and that we can then dig up at the end of the year harvest from it and then let our chickens because we deliberately put the chicken house next while we're building like we're building the chicken house now um you know we can let them attack that and they'll just clean up all that biomass for us and we and then we recrop it and and, and plant our vegetables so you know understand fitting that pattern again into the um or fitting that those design parameters into the the climactic pattern is is important i think you know yeah, absolutely. There's uh, so many different applications for this. And like you said, we're really figuring this out from our own experience and what we know. But the new application in this climate and constantly testing out new stuff. I mean, I think that's the biggest commonality that we have the three of us, me as a builder, the two of you working more on the landscape, but all of us doing each other's jobs is we're, we're using this as an experimentation ground and as kind of a trial place to uh, to see what works and what is worth uh, spreading and promoting uh, in these climates specifically. Now, I know a big thing that we've been doing in this last month is starting to train new people. So Neil, can you tell us a little bit about the wonderful little additions to our team and how that's been going? (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I never could have imagined something like this really happening. Um, Jera is the thing that he always says that I really have come to take on which is that like community is an emergent property of a healthy or unhealthy ecosystem so you know an unhealthy ecosystem is likely to produce an unhealthy community in my view um but we're doing everything we can to improve the little ecosystem we're living in here and um we took on about six months ago for one of the courses that we do at Atlantic Organics we we give scholarships on every one of those courses and one of the kids who took the scholarship he really loved it he's the son of Shad's farm manager from uh, from Atlantic Organics um, and he's only 13 but he's basically Luke Skywalker he's no. <laughs> he's kind of like Luke Skywalker yeah he's like training to be a Jedi he went back to his parents and he said I don't want to go to school anymore yeah but the problem is he's learning from Darth Vader <laughs> he's supposed to learn from someone from the light side there Neil well look 
right right now he could you know he's he, it's he's turning into a powerful individual this kid went back to his folks and said i don't want to go to school anymore i don't think it takes too long i'm bored in class and i don't think i'll get a good job after i finish and his parents think about this too we're talking about the education system here in guatemala um quite different from the public education you might get in the west or a more developed country so yeah yeah. This kid this kid is way smarter than all of his teachers. That's one of that was definitely one of his problems. Um <laughs> and one of it, and he's also way smarter than us. Definitely so, at that age, yeah, I wasn't nearly as cool as him when I was 13. Oh my god, this kid is just he's a rock star. So he's been with us now for about 2 months. Uh he's he's able to milk the goats and manage them fully he was a brilliant like ayudante or helper to the to the bambucero the professional bamboo workers we had in here helping us um learned how to do all the cuts uh he's learned he's becoming really proficient at carpentry now he really helped me to make the, he really helped me a lot making the goat house and he's been making stone walls and landscaping a lot with jer uh learning how to plant crops he's he's taught me some stuff his father you know has taken him planting his corn with him so he he knew stuff coming in already and he's just got this awesome work attitude and you know we're paying him uh, a kind of like an intern wage um he's super happy with it because he's got you know he's got pocket money and i keep saying to him leave go rest you know you don't need to be here all the time but he won't leave when there's stuff going on and he's been so loyal that you know we decided to start giving english classes um and also because another great little family came and started helping us with the goats um uh a single mom and her her two daughters um they came and they kept asking us if they could walk the goats and so eventually I was like yeah um I don't have time to walk the goats right now none of us do so they come and take the the goats for a walk um and we started off you know paying them for their time we still do uh but they really liked the garden and the girls wanted to like usually wanted to stay and hang around and play in the garden after they finished so we started saying to them you know like you know do a little bit of weeding and take take a bag of greens or whatever's in the garden so they've been doing that um they they love the yogurt they're like they're insane they're they they just like gulp it down every time i give them a liter of yogurt um so we give them yogurt and milk and you know there was just such a nice scene developing in the place that we decided to start giving english classes uh so maria our neighbor who also helps us in the in the kitchen uh we started we started doing english classes for the three of them and they've been really lucky and so it's like two marias one of them's 25 and one of them's 10 uh ricardo who's 13 uh so they've started doing english classes i want to get i'm hoping our volunteers can start to help with the with the english classes and in future you know anyone who does want to come and volunteer with us that has kind of like a skill that they would like like art or music or or whatever really adriana's been teaching them a little bit of uh, weaving and this is just a thing that's happened like really organically and really naturally and we're not really sure what what's going to happen with it i think that's a mistake that you know i personally think a lot of ngos make where they get obsessed with trying to nail the parameters of the project and the expected outcomes and benefits and all the rest of it and the truth is once you actually start kind of doing work that you're passionate about and that like brings about ecological change 
cultural things just start to happen and you just kind of have to trust them a little bit and we're sort of doing it small we have like a little unofficial internship program that just started and we've got some really bright kids uh that i think are just learning my hope for this my hope for like ricardo and maria is that they can learn a mixture of like really practical life skills um but also you know get access to good kind of language and music and art um as well you know so (laughs) let's just for us and for us it means like the um the next generation of, of what we're trying to do it's very important for our really purpose here and even for our landscape too they're going to be an integral part of the way this this land and the rest of this town develops is is these kids you know yeah absolutely and you know there's there's also of course a selfish part to it i guess you could say you know we're um we're quite effortlessly building some goodwill with the community Uh, that makes me feel very safe knowing that I have like a good relationship with my neighbours so it's like it's very important to maintain that Um, yeah me too I mean um, aside from just the the immediate local community like you were talking about the the family and the kids who are helping out here and learning a lot more are you know stones throw away from us I've also taken on an assistant who I poached from Charlie. This is Charlie Rendell, Bamboo Charlie over in San Marcos. He was one of my mentors and taught me a lot of what I know about working with bamboo. He was nice enough to uh, let me take on one of the guys that he trained up and is a competent carpenter. His name's Abner. He's in his early 20s and kind of got trained up with Charlie's team over there, the next town over. But that's been another big addition to our team that's helped me out a ton. The building requires kind of a lot of invisible work where you know you're doing accounting you're doing material orders you're doing design updates and putting out specs so that other people can follow yeah just horrible stuff that nobody wants to do (laughs) we're so glad oliver's here to do that yes sometimes it takes a nerd (laughs) i mean this i this stuff is just beyond belief for me it's torture I'd, i'd i'd rather to carry boulders up the hill all day yeah, it's not my favorite either, but I also know the importance of being organized on a build site and how much everything flows a lot smoother. I mean, I, I kind of whinged a little bit about how long it's taking for certain material orders and things like that to get here, but... Uh, but it I've, would take so much longer if you didn't have your foot up those people's asses, you know? <laughs> yeah, for real. I mean, it, it you really got to plan ahead. Um, everything flows a lot easier with planning and organization, and whether or not it's your favorite thing the building part is going to be much more of a drag and things slow down a ton without this extra organization. And Abner has been huge in helping out with that. He's handled a lot of what we call the proveedores, the people who supply different materials, the sources of uh, different hardware and and even just networking and, and calling in things that are hard to get, checking prices and all those things that would really just take a ton of my time. And you know, you got to try and figure out once you get to a certain level of business management and entrepreneurship, you're just like, I can't do all parts of this. Either I'm going to be a competent technician and be on site working all the time, or I'm just going to be stuck behind a desk and shouting orders. And I would prefer not to be that for as much as possible, because that's how I have to run projects for clients. You know, it's not 
it doesn't make any financial s- sense for yeah, me to be on site all the time. It's a job. It, it turn, it's, nobody wants to have a job, really. <laughs> but it happens. <laughs> it happens all the time. Yeah, you, like, you got to find that. You don't want to get into permaculture and then suddenly discover you have a job. That's what, we're, that's what we're really the moral of this is, I think. <laughs> you want to get out of that pattern as soon as possible. Um, but it's been really fun, too, because he, he brings his own skill sets here, and he has a lot of advice on how to do things a little bit uh, more efficiently or easily from working on Charlie's build sites and larger projects around the lake. And uh, quite frankly, he gives us a lot of perspective about how people see and, and think about things here in the local community that wouldn't have occurred to us because we've only lived here a short amount of time and we don't come from a traditional Mayan heritage. Yeah, like that was funny today when the church group came around collecting for the the, the feria, you know, the local fair and they were like, they gave us a letter outlining all their costs they spent like a couple of thousand Q on Coca-Cola, another couple of thousand Q on firecrackers <laughs> what else is it? Like just just a lot of nonsense that's really just going to fill up the street with trash. Right, but it was an interesting conversation. And, uh, of course, you know, we had mixed feelings about whether we wanted to support this thing or not. Um, but, yeah, like having a, a cool dude like Abner there to, like, talk it through and give you sort of a perspective, a community perspective on it and all the rest of it, it's like... Oh, it's absolutely essential. And, I mean, we're constantly juggling the holistic idea of being members of this community as well and contributing in a way that, you know, uh, kind of suits our our priorities trying and to what reconcil- we want to do. Trying to reconcile the fact that we want to be product you know we want to be good members of this community with the fact that we're both really really uninterested in being catholics or evangelicals which are like just community pillars here um and we also don't want to become sort of evangelical permaculturalists who start like luring people away from the church to join our church speak for yourself Uh, sorry you do I totally agree. No churches. <laughs> no churches. Can we call it an ashram? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't want to do that either, but we do joke about it. I mean, we, we, we do have uh, things that we promote and, and things that we're trying to get done for the health of the whole community and the environment here. And Look, it's, you it's, have to do it in a soft way through communication and through understanding and collaboration. And right. that's always a tightrope to walk, you know. Right, we're no different from anyone else. We think that our worldview is the right one and that if more people followed it, the world would be better. Which, incidentally, is what, you know, every every despotic dictator also taught, you know, (laughs) and, like, religious nut and all the rest of it. So So if I start seeing you wearing, like, overly large sunglasses with a whole bunch of nonsense medals all over your chest, I'll start getting worried. Just take me out, man. Just take me out while you still have a chance. I'll have bodyguards before you know it. It'll be too late. I'm glad you gave me permission because that was my plan in the first place. (laughs) We got a plan in place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and Jeremy know we've already planned out your demise in case of this this scenario. Well, I think we all need to have a, 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 a takeout plan ready for each each of the three. This any of us are capable of going to the dark side at any moment. You know, it's important. Right? We teeter on that edge on a daily basis. <laughs> I, Jeremy has nothing to contribute no. to that comment. <laughs> but hey, so look. Um, joking all that last part was a joke by the way yeah yeah yeah. i'll definitely edit all of this out in post-production good good and and just in case anyone didn't like it it was almost immediate uh, almost definitely out of context 
Yeah, yeah. If if at any point you're irked or offended by something that we're saying, you probably took it out of context conveniently enough. Yeah, at least that would that would be my answer anyway, you know. <laughs> yeah, so save your hate mail and send it to Neil Haggerty at, <laughs> at Sununa. There's no other address here. There's no roads with numbers, so good luck It'll getting get it. Here. It'll get to me. Just say Nilo. Don't say Neil Haggerty. Just say Nilo. That'll get no one knows who Neil Haggerty is. Oh, I do. I'll get it to you. <laughs> All right. So there's one other thing moving forward. Like we've got a plan now, uh, as we talked about the parameters that we're working with, with the climate and basically the timeline that's constantly encroaching on us as this climate goes through its different processes. We've got to keep up with it. We've got to stay ahead of it a little. And you came up, Neil, with a great sort of plan of almost the, the next full year, both development as a business, development of our site and the ecology. Talk a little bit about where where we're headed. Well, we'll see if it was a great plan. Yeah, uh, we will. We're know. not all in agreement about this plan, but it's a great outline to start with. And actually, that's really important because when you're dealing with living systems, there's always going to be some variables and some things that you didn't consider in your in your plan. So causing it to be too rigid is going to be much more of a hindrance in the long run. You've got to leave kind of a lot of the specifics to to observation and that's really the on, only way to interact in a healthy way with living systems right yeah observe observe and interact and be fluid and don't don't get it too attached to your ideas i think that's kind of what that principle you mentioned observe and interact obviously but also like accept feedback that's sort of another way of saying like don't be too attached to your to your plan you know um or to anything really i think uh, if i understood any of those books on spirituality i read not being attached is is important. How important the most is a recurring theme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the main things I took from it. That and be in the moment. And uh, what else? Uh, Don't eat a pig. Lot of chanting and uh, flowy pants. Is pretty <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm joking. I, I, I think dreadlocks are a, rec- a prerequisite for a lot of enlightenment. No, I no. Figured it out. No, no. <laughs> Let's not get personal. Um, <laughs> No, I actually love that stuff. I'm joking. Um, okay, so what I but what I was talking about was yeah, looking at kind of where we're at, what we want to do on the land. I don't want to bore people too much with this, but I'll just like kind of go through it in general. You know, we got goats in. Everyone's heard me talk about the goats. So in May, by the way, I put this on a spreadsheet. You know, because if you want someone to take you seriously, you have to you have to put things in a spreadsheet. Otherwise, I'm so glad you're learning this. You know, otherwise no one will even. No one will even read your plan unless it's on a spreadsheet nowadays. So put it on a spreadsheet, lesson part one. Um, you know, then I was saying, like, you got to get a macho in. So we got our male goat in last week, uh, and I'm going to leave him there. I think it'll take the little fellow about a good two months to get that job done. Six weeks. Um, he's got to work on five girls, man. That's a big job. Yeah, well, he's got to kind of... It, it's interesting the way it happens. They sort of simultaneously will all express interest. Uh, so it... I feel like that's kind of that's sort of how it usually is you know the way people say uh, you know it's all either a feast or a famine or you hear these single guys complain about like how they you know they can't get any action for months and months and then all of a sudden there's like three different girls interested and they don't know what to do um, in this case five you know in this case five and right now none of them are interested in him um, but we're hoping that's going to change. I think it is. He's starting to stand up for himself a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, he'll hopefully um, do his job and we can give him back to Nyame, um around June. And in June, I want to get chickens. Um, 
so I want to put the chicken hose below the goat hose. I want to get young criollo chickens and start feeding them corn that's that we can ferment in the way we make from the cheese. Um, and yeah, I want to get those criollos in and I, so that they'll be laying eggs by, by the start of the high season, you know, by the, by the end of October. Um, so we'll just feed them and raise them for now and have them make compost and we'll empty the goat hose into the chicken hose. They'll pick all the worms out of it and scratch it up and make it aerobic um, and add their own manure. We'll throw loads of like chopped vegetation under them and dry and straw. Um, then what else do we have down here? Um, We'll, we'll get going on our living fencing because the the problem we have now is we have all these plans to do earthworks on the rest of our property and put in our perennial food forest systems which we will also link up to our animal systems so that they'll be able to range in them um, but we don't want to start doing earthworks now because the rains are about to come so they won't hold and we don't really want to take vegetation out either, so we would inevitably doing that have to rip up a bunch of the coffee and cushine that's on the land. No, we don't want to do that, so we're going to leave that. But what we are going to do is plant out our living fence. Uh, you want to talk a bit about that, Chair? Yeah, it's a tricky one um, because if we look at how the scale of permanence works and, well, logic in general and um, experience like it's important to put in permanent vegetation but you gotta like make sure it's it's where it's going to be uh permanent so like if we're gonna come in and start digging up areas it's it's kind of a, a waste of time to put some some of this stuff in but at the same time we want to take advantage of these rains coming in so the simple solution to that is to focus on the details where can we put perennial vegetation in where we're not going to worry about it for a while and running the north border of the property basically the entire outline of the property with some very important species um, is going to be what we'll focus on basically for this rainy season palo de agua down here is a great one you just shove sticks in the ground it produces nice broad leaves if you crisscross it it forms this kind of web or net of branching which will catch loads of material coming down the hill it catches stuff in the wind it um, slows uh, water from rain flowing over the land down tremendously and it will um, in years to come create a sort of a blockade stopping anything else that would roll in on our property or otherwise from damaging things. Um, Palo de Agua is just one example of, of species we'll be using. We, uh, we've already thrown in loads of these, these just big sticks of trees. Um, uh, hokote, which is an amazing like fruiting species here, is great to put in. We often find it annoying because it loses its leaves in the dry season, which is like, seriously? <laughs> what? Um, so it's not that helpful for some parts of the year. It's terrible shade crop. If you want shade during the, during the dry season, it's horrible. Yeah. Um, but, and then just when you want it to throw leaves onto the ground during the during the dry season it, it's no good to it's you, not so doing it's, anything yeah. but it produces great fruit it attracts loads of birds which is very important as well we're going to use it as an advantage or, or some kind of solution because we want to try to incorporate more species into these into these fences. living fences we want to put them denser and if it has broad leaves through the year it's going to crowd anything else out that we might want to use in that so the fact that it loses its leaves during a certain part of the year is an advantage in if, some ways. If you plan for it to be 
what yeah. some, I've seen people here put in the middle of their coffee field where they really need shade and then it gets like desiccated for the dry season and it gets doesn't get enough light let in during the during the rainy season so it's yeah, like it's totally really not good to plant in the middle of your field where you want one of these um you know shade giving in the sun in the in the dry season mulch producing and and light letting in species in the rainy season that's like what you want for that but as you say that potential problem becomes a great solution if you if you use it properly in your design yeah so that's exactly what we're going to do because it's a great species it's it's native to here it does really well um bamboo as well we're going to put in certain areas bananas are great both of these I'm thinking more recently at the bottom of the property. Bamboo is great on the uphill side because it stops stuff falling down. But at the same time, we have a thin border at the top and it's a species that bunch any of the bamboos, even if they run or if they bunch, are going to like over time change the soil profiles. They're gonna shift soil around. They're gonna kick walls out. So if you put them on top of a wall, don't expect it to be the same in like four years. Right. Um, so. You know, these species are the strongest banana and, and bamboo, but they're also so strong that they could actually do permanent damage to things. So we put them at the bottom of the property. We're going to get these. Where they're going to catch, they'll be the last thing that will catch water. Yeah. Hopefully the land will be set up well enough so that water won't be leaving it, but inevitably some will, and this is like your final, yeah. your final water catchment. I mean, we can get as much rain in one night as in, as in a month. Uh, with certain storms here so there's always a chance for overflow and we really have to be prepared for that so use everything to its to its best um, try not to uh, <laughs> underthink uh, permanent species on the landscape and try to create a polyculture try to put things as dense as possible with uh, a nice diversity not too many species but enough to create stability and to really work together and form this kind of like mesh or this accumulation zone on our property that can sequester that can protect that can just do everything you want and require nothing um in the sense yeah and like and fix nitrogen too that's another huge one and and be part and that that's essentially part of that alley cropping system that i'm talking about as well because of course that a similar type of system will need to go around our garden to block the harsh winds to produce the biomass um and to fix nitrogen to keep our to keep our soil healthy in the place where we're where we're where we're tilling it so then yeah what else did i have on this like the living fence a huge one and then once that's going we want to get started uh, or kind of simultaneously really we want to really get our nursery started jerry's done a really good job of like keeping the nursery afloat so it's like get it's growing all the time but we really want to start putting some effort into it because we're going to start doing our earthworks for our perennial food forest systems after the rainy season so we want to have a bunch of fruit trees ready that's an exciting one because there's all kinds of criollo or heirloom varieties of amazing fruits here like there's a certain sapote that does really well a couple of types of orange and lemon that do really well um there's there's the hocote as Jerry mentioned and then there's avocados there's all these amazing big juicy creamy avocados that people call criollo avocados but they're kind of dying out because people only tend to propagate by cloning the um the Haas avocado um and so these bigger old growth ones that produce amazing fruits at all kinds of different times of year are are starting to die out so we're starting to collect 
are the scions of our favorite avocados right now and we want to graft those into rootstocks and do the same with the sapote and get a bunch of just other really interesting plants that will go into our perennial systems after the earthworks are done because that will start uh, once the rains are over. I just want to mention real quick about this whole nursery development thing. Um, don't be afraid to start a nursery. It doesn't require a lot of infrastructure. You just need water and a nice shade area that's protected from wind and good potting mix, which generally is just high organic matter um, with some sand and some regular soil added to it. But keep the organic matter high Get the so you have nice drainage. It holds on to nutrients, keeps the plants happy. And do it as soon as possible. Like we probably didn't do it as soon as we would have liked um, because we had some other um, things you know we're very motivated human beings with what we're trying to do here we have a lot of like ideals already that we know are gonna work but if you're in a place where you're not sure what you want to do just start growing plants and the ones that you think are gonna work just see what other people are growing get propagules get them going start multiplying your plants because before long you're going to need them and they're out of the ground and you can just chill on them water them and they'll be ready for when you're ready yeah and anyone who wants more on that there's a great video on on youtube the at the Atlanta organics page how to propagate plants using your intuition there's basically just five different ways to do it anyone can do it it's super intuitive super fun and kind of as jer says it's like while you're sitting there observing watching your land uh you build up a nursery and it can be profitable because just about anywhere you go in the world now it's really hard to find a nursery that's full of like interesting heirloom plants that are native to that region native or well adapted to that region um it's usually just the same sort of generic plants and trees that you find in any nursery so kind of like a permaculture nursery is a great thing that you can do and really really benefits your design so <clears throat> that's what we're that's what we're gonna yeah and you you can save a fortune and and for us like um sourcing plants is really difficult sourcing plants you can put it in the ground right away i'm mostly just going to find ornamentals around here so there's a massive need for people to be starting to um grow out some nice native species that will work really well in developing the succession of the landscape. There's no one doing it most places, um, and it needs to happen. And it's really fun to try to tr like experiment with new species and see how they do. Don't be afraid. If you see something growing well around you, start to observe it, see how it could be useful, start growing it, um, develop value for the species, you know? So it's not a weed anymore. Know how it works. That's what it's all about. Yeah, and um, so that that will be a big thing we'll start. I had actually left out on this list the need to crop uh, the garden, so to harvest our seed and crop the garden, but I had mentioned that, so that's what we're doing right now. Because then once the once the rainy season, or once the rainy season ends and the tourist season starts, the whole point of this plan is that the goats will now be milking again, will wean their kids and we'll have full production of milk for the start of the for the start of the busy tourist season. We'll take we'll let our chickens into our garden and let them attack all the all the cover crops that we've planted over the rainy season, which will have just flushed up because it'll rain so much. Um, we will also have had the chickens in their chicken house for six for five or six months at that stage, so we'll have loads of really good uh, compost. So we can just blast our garden with fertility and and 
and plant our dry season crop, which again will be more geared to the sort of tourist market, organic veg, food to exchange, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we will also have a nursery full of full of trees to go in the ground for when our earthworks are finished. So that, that will be the thing that starts once the house is done and the rains have gone. Um, we'll be we'll be getting going on our earthworks and our perennial systems, which honestly I can't wait for. It's I'm kind of bummed that I have to spend the whole dr- rainy season waiting for it. But when you talk about all the things we have to do, it's just as well. You, we need to get our nursery full. We need to build up lots, lots and lots of compost and really think it out well. It's going to be fun. Me and Oliver are going to be here a lot. Jeremy, unfortunately, has to go back to the States. But me and Oliver are going to be here a lot. And for sure, we're going to be talking on the phone with Jaron, like really getting down into the patchwork design of how those perennial systems are going to work, how they're going to interact with the wetlands that we can create so that when the rains stop and we're back down here and we're all rearing to go again, we can just really... The machine pumping. It's yeah. already going. Like This mosaic that we have here in this parcel... My goal is that when I come back, this thing doesn't even need to, the, the border doesn't even need to be watered through the entire dry season. I want those roots to go in deep. I want them to have a nice sort of slow feed of water, passive water flowing through our sort of flooding areas. And I want them to just do it, you know? I want it to be like, just do it. Slow down. <laughs> just do it. Yeah. Um, I think that's a slogan for something. I, I can't remember what. Whatever, we can take it. They won't mind. <laughs> I'm pretty sure There's whoever no they're writing on that right Nike. I'm pretty sure whoever they are, they're cool and they don't have a team of expensive lawyers. Sweatshops. <laughs> or sweatshops. Yeah. <laughs> Go whoever that company is. Oh god. <laughs> Alright, you don't get the mic anymore. Um Cool, yeah, thanks for running down the the overall plan. At this point, we're going to try and get to some listener questions because Yay, we didn't have listener questions. <laughs> we didn't have time to do it last time. So, uh, on this go around, we got to pick from quite a package and let me start first with uh, <laughs> with <laughs> with a great question from Christina. Christina Knight from Canada but is living in Bristol. Okay. Also known as Freckles. You know this person? All right, so the question is, do you have any recommendations for someone looking to move into a permaculture career? I'd love to start working in permaculture. I have taken a PDC, but lack experience and am unsure to, of how to become a pro practitioner. All right, well, I have been doing this for quite a few years, but I've focused mostly on the building side of things. So I'm gonna give this to you guys to give us uh, some insight into how you went pro with this. Wow. Um, well, firstly, yeah, we do know Christine and Knight. It's Freckles. So, hi, Freckles. Thanks for the really good question. Um, yeah, um, Christina doesn't even have Freckles, actually. I don't know why we call her Freckles. Uh, anyway, you can find her on Facebook. She'll appreciate that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think, look, it's hard to call yourself a professional obviously i guess you're professional when you're getting paid for it and we do get paid for this so yeah you're professional (laughs) don't don't sell yourself all right yeah that's true you've been doing this a long time um yeah i guess so right and the thing for me is go towards what you're interested in um you know i meet a lot of people i came from I came from not a world where i was doing much of this kind of stuff um you know and it's you can you can change it around really quickly the the information is out there you know you said you, you you've done a pdc 
So, and I know it can be intimidating when you do a PDC, right? You get all this information. You're like, whoa, where do I start? But I think if you just spend a little while going towards where you're really interested in, there's room in this in this profession for generalists. There's room in it for specialists. Some people will be called to, to specialize. Other people will be called to like look at the big picture. But just go to where, where you're called because the great thing about this is Nobody, if you become a competent permaculturalist, you will actually never be short of work. You might find it right now in this current economic climate a little bit hard to become a millionaire. Um, But you will never be short of work because there's no way that in our lifetime we're going to run out of horribly uh, degraded ecosystems that need to be repaired and new ways of dealing with all the things we're dealing with now. Um, so it's actually it might seem like very far away now when you've just done a when you've just done a PDC and you're getting into it, but just go for it. There's so many different areas that you can specialize in, and there's really no right answer. It's just the one that you feel called to. Yeah, Neil's absolutely right. Though I'm going to say the complete opposite of of what he just said. Yeah. So Jeremy, yeah, Jeremy's right as well. <laughs> He doesn't even know what I'm going to say. Um, Yeah, I'm going to flip the tortilla on this one um, because it is important to figure out what you really like to do. But in some ways, it can be difficult for one thing. And in other ways, we have to look at the context with which we're in, you know. So, like, I'll take my personal professional career as an example. I've worn a lot of hats working in this um, profession. And it's a lot of times it comes down to what needs to be done, too. What what is there? What niches are available? You know, be creative. Neil kind of mentioned this, but see also what is available and how you can sort of orient what you already know to what needs to be done. Um, for instance, for us, you know, I'm not like I n- I didn't even know how to milk a goat uh, two months ago. Uh, no, you're a professional goat milker. I can do that. Well, you get I mean, money from milking goats, that means you're a professional goat milker. Right. <laughs> Still learning. But, um, you know, I wouldn't have expected to do that, nor would I have necessarily chose to. But it turned out to be a really good thing. It was obvious that people wanted fresh milk. Yeah, so be flexible, be open to change, be creative. Yeah, what's that principle? Um, <laughs> creatively use and respond to change, folks. It's the last one on the list. And the reason is because it's the last thing you got to think about and will always be kind of the most important in a sense, especially if you want to create a business, you know? Know what um, needs to be done in your in your area. Yeah, and that, just going back to the point I was making, I, I again, Jeremy's totally right. And I know Oliver's <laughs> going to come in with some more stuff in the business, but there is like a kind of a... Uh, a subtle character a subtle quality to this as well which i've very much found to be true which is that like when you really commit to to learning just amazing teachers and people who want to help you will appear in your in your path i've that was very much the case for me and i know it has been for for you two guys as well so you know just trust that that will happen the teachers you need will appear when when you need them to appear if you're kind of like committed to uh to doing this and 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 doing it for the right reasons because we're in this because it's fun because we love to do it more than because it it 
pays a fortune, right? So this is definitely something to get into for the love of it. And once you... It's a lot of work, folks. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of work. No matter which way you go about it, it's a lot of work. And and permaculture is still in the pioneer stage, you know? We're still... we. We still need that kind of mix of pioneer species who are sort of tough and risk taking. So yeah, don't be. Af- but but yeah, really don't be afraid. If you just go towards what you're interested in, the teachers and the experiences will appear. Yeah, those are all great points. And uh, the one thing that I think is really sort of undertaught in PDCs and and most permaculture educational programs. So there are some great ones out there that cover this. Is the business side of things. There is so much that kind of needs to be understood from the business side if you want to make a proper living out of this and you certainly can but if you go into it thinking that people are just going to pay you because you're good at designing and implementing landscape um, systems you're probably going to have a bit of trouble or just because you're growing organic food i think anyone interested in the business side of farming Joel Salat and stuff and your and the podcast on the Abundant Edge website with Joel Salat he talks a lot about farm business strategies that I think are often overlooked yeah there's a ton of great resources out there depending on how you want to specialize like I've done plenty of permaculture designs mostly on a residential scale and a lot of them kind of complement the buildings or the retrofits or renovations that I've uh, implemented or built but Learning how to attract and funnel clients into actually paying you is really important and and is not covered in most permaculture education. So by kind of augmenting your learning by taking some business courses or at least taking some sort of mentorship from someone who has experience in a similar type of industry, whether it's conventional landscaping, gardening or farming, um, that's going to help you out so much because as the three of us are finding pretty quickly once you get good at implementing and designing stuff you mostly kind of have to take a step back and do a lot of administrative work accounting and these other tasks that frankly none of us got into it for and takes quite a bit of your time so getting good at that learning how to kind of streamline it make it efficient so that you can spend more time out in the field and doing designs definitely makes it more fun as as a career path So let's get to the last question of the night before we wrap up here. And this one is probably one I'm going to take from David Daniels from Seattle, Washington. And David says, I live in the middle of a city and love my location and lifestyle here, but I want to build with natural materials and I think it'll be way too hard to get an earthen building approved here. Are natural materials easy to incorporate into existing buildings? And I really love this question because I get these types of requests all the time, either through students uh, in the courses or from listeners from the podcast. Many of you already have homes and aren't going to just start from scratch and build yourself a mud hut or a timber frame or whatever. And that's great. In fact, especially from an environmental perspective, not taking down a building, putting it in the waste stream and starting over, no matter how good your intentions or materials that you're using is not going to do a whole lot of favors for the environment. If there's already a standing structure, you can improve it significantly with actually some really minor renovations and sometimes even just finish work. And usually for people who are looking to get a lot of the benefits, especially the health benefits for the interior of a home or a living space, I point them first in the direction of 
natural plasters and finishes. Now, one of the great benefits of refinishing a house with natural materials, especially in the case of clay, even more than others, is that clay comes with a ton of health benefits. Especially if you're in a, a fairly new home, chances are a lot of the chemicals that came in in paints, in materials, especially things like new carpet, are constantly off-gassing, emitting volatile organic compounds or VOCs out into your air to the point where in many cases the air quality inside your building, even if you're living in a big polluted city, is worse than being outside. And especially is the case if you've got a new building out in the suburbs or in a rural setting because all of the chemicals like I just mentioned in there are constantly contaminating your interior air. And one of the benefits of putting a clay plaster on your building is that it will filter the air kind of passively over time and help to offset many of the volatile compounds and off-gassing of other chemicals in the house. Um, one of the best things that you can do right off the bat though is getting rid of carpet in your home. There's <laughs> very few types of carpet out there, even the green ones, and I'm doing that with air quotes. Um, that are healthy for your interior living environment. Basically, you're imitating having grass inside of your home so you can walk around barefoot a little bit more comfortably. Uh, let go of that idea, you'll be a lot better off. Put in rugs or something if you want to. But clay can also help to um, regulate the humidity inside your living space. I've even heard awesome stories of people who plastered their bathrooms with clay plasters. And you know how you normally step out of a shower and have to go and wipe off the mirror from all the vapor and all of the steam that came off of a hot shower? Well, I've heard from people who have, have uh, finished those rooms with clay plasters and not having to go and wipe off the, the mirror immediately because the clay actually absorbs that vapor and will slowly release it back out into the living space, regulating the humidity in there for your, for your own comfort. Um, there's a ton of other health benefits and stuff of just finishing with clay, but you can use found and recycled materials to do a new renovation. You can look at see what kind of materials are available on your site. I've heard of people uh, excavating their own subsoil and creating earthen floors, which of course are way healthier than any kind of laminate or very heavily uh, impregnated chemical finish that you could put on a floor instead. Also, it serves as a thermal mass. If you have any sort of passive solar gain, it can help to regulate the temperature. And all of these are things that do not have strict uh, prohibitions or regulations, even in city environments. And I know a lot of uh, not only former clients, but many people in my network who have put together these types of renovations and finishes in their homes for great benefit of the interior health. So yes, there's a ton of applications for natural building, even in industrial homes, even in cities, and it's very easy to get around the regulations if you're not doing structural walls with materials that aren't on codes or regulations. So great question there, and that's where we're at. We'll wrap this up for today. Obviously, we're going to have another Regenerative Roundtable in a month's time, and we'll check in with you to uh, basically let you know how all these projects are going or if we failed yeah, we miserably need, and everything's on fire. We need to get a table that's actually round as well. This one is kind of rectangular. Um, yeah, that would help. You know, like King Arthur. Disclosure. King Arthur wasn't lying when he had said he had a round table. Right. We need one. Yeah, and some knights. We actually just yeah. need a table. You could hardly call this a table. That right. We're, we're putting this and on. It's definitely not round. It's definitely not so, round. So you know, full disclosure, false advertising, slightly there on our part. Hey, hey. 
<laughs> for the sake of integrity, this is a round, perfectly adequate table. All right, we'll be doing the next around. regenerative rectangular uh, small Bonanza. footstool. Uh, <laughs> That's what You're right. It. Let's just call it round table. It's catchier. You're yeah, right. That no, kind no, of flows right, a little forget better. Forget it. Forget it. See Stop calling time. me. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, you guys. We'll check in with you in a month, and next week we'll have a whole new interview. Um, so stay tuned. We'll we'll catch up with you soon. Bye. Bye bye. See ya. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at abundantedge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops that we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we all share. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at AbundantEdge.com or you can post your questions directly to the Abundant Edge podcast Facebook page to which there's a link in the show notes of this episode. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you again in next week's session.